Welcome to Beyond the Roadmap, Product Talk with AWH, a podcast for product people by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products. All right. Hi, this is Ryan Frederick from AWH, and I've got Lars Clint with me, who was in town for the Sturtrek conference, and he's all the way from Melbourne. Did I say that correctly? Well, if you're American, you said it correctly, yeah. Okay. How, how would you say it? There's no L. There's no... It's Melbourne. 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 Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds really weird. Melbourne, Australia. It, it feels really weird to say it that it way. It does. Yeah. Uh, which is in Australia, for those mm-hmm. that don't know where Melbourne is. <laughs> It's just making it worse. <laughs> so, and we tried to actually do this a year ago. We did, yeah. And you ended up not coming for the conference after all. I just couldn't make it line up, yeah, essentially. Right. The traveling was just going to be too too difficult. And after here, you're headed to... Um, uh, tomorrow morning yeah. um, at about 6 a.m. I got a flight to Minnesota in Minneapolis. Yeah. Where NDC Minnesota is on which is the inaugural NDC North America event, which I'm looking really forward to. Sweet. It's going to be really, really cool. So this is going to be a, other than doing this with me, this is mm-hmm. going to be a pretty pr- productive trip for you. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. That's the idea. So I'm doing, I'm doing a talk there on the AR kit, so we can talk a bit more about that today, I guess, um, which is uh, Google's Android platform for augmented reality. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing a, a PubConf talk and PubConf is like the unofficial after-party of NDC, and uh, it kind of follows NDC around the world. And I've done a, a bunch of PubConfs before, but it's a it's called an Ignite talk, which means you have five minutes to do twenty slides that auto rotates or auto advance. Mm. So you get fifteen seconds per slide, and you're not in control of it. So uh, they're really fun. They're very in politically uh, politically incorrect. There's lots of swearing, and, and yeah, they're really good fun. <laughs> Sounds like a blast. Yeah. Um, so do you, um, clearly you enjoy going around and speaking and sort of talking about um, augmented virtual reality stuff. How did this come to be? What, why? Give us a little bit about your background and then ultimately why get interested in sure. augmented virtual reality stuff. So I'm, I'm a nerd by background. I am a software developer, and I write code most days. Some days I look at other people's code and point fingers at it, <laughs> um, but that's the benefit of being a consultant sometimes. But I, uh, I'm a software developer, and I've been doing a lot of different things, mainly around infrastructure and, and web. I was the guy that was really into Windows Phone. I was that guy. You were the one. I was that guy. Um, I still have a whole cupboard full of Windows Phones uh, at home, and, and I still think it's a better platform, if I'm honest, <laughs> uh, just in terms of how it looks and how it functions, but obviously it's not gonna happen uh it's, it's yes, kind of I, dead in its tracks i think the music has has completed and there was not a chair left for microsoft to sit in on the mobile platform well space. i think i think they had a chair and then they decided to sell the chair on ebay it was there was certainly potential there and uh, uh it happens with big companies sometimes there's, there's too many you know chefs in the kitchen and a lot of competing interests and priorities totally. right uh, so that just didn't happen. So the, the mobile platform still exists, but obviously there's no devices really being built for it. So uh, I've gone to Android, like most other people, um, or an iOS device for that matter. And um, but about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I was I was looking at the 
event where they announce oh, I can't remember what event there was even um, was it build maybe that they announced the uh, the you know the new Hololens mm-hmm. and I was just blown away it was just it was something that I just had never seen before I'd never seen anything that was that convincing and I was keen to know if it was all just for show or it was actually a real device because when you saw it on stage obviously a lot of these presentations are very polished the keynote's been rehearsed a hundred times but it was just so convincing that I felt I had to be in that space and know what it what it does and what it you know what the potential of it and obviously the if you're not familiar with the HoloLens it's a mixed reality device which for all intents and purposes is a subset of augmented reality that takes your your spatial it has spatial awareness and I just got hooked I actually did my first international talk on HoloLens before I had a HoloLens <laughs> Um, which was interesting. Um, it worked all right. Nothing like uh, professing credibility before you actually have any. Oh, totally. Right. But my, my point was that no one else had one either. <laughs> so so I just talked about what the platform was like and what all it, the tooling. What, it, what and, it could be, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so I ended up actually getting one. Uh, I bought. So they're, they're not cheap. They're about three grand US. So I bought it with two other guys. Uh, we each own a third. And that made it a lot more feasible. And then I started just using it, building for it, playing with it. And from that, my interest in augmented and virtual reality kind of grew as well. So, where do you think we? Where do you think we are um, with augmented and virtual reality on the growth spectrum and trajectory? Are we two percent of of where we're going to ultimately end up with it, or is it less than that, or are we like halfway to whatever the promised land is around it? Well, no one really knows what the promised land is um, because it's. There's a few factors that play in here. One is that businesses really need to have a vision for it and they need to be willing to risk capital, first of all. They need to be able to say, hey, we've got a you know, a bag of money here. You can use that to build something and we hope it'll work. we got an idea of how it might work. Not a lot of companies are willing to do that. You know, If there's an unsure investment, that's not going to be the one. Well, in most of the augmented reality stuff, um, I won't even go into virtual, but most of the augmented reality stuff that's been built so far by corporations has been mostly unfocused gimmicky stuff. Totally. Right? Yeah. And that's probably a result of them either not understanding the, the technology very well mm-hmm. or not spending enough time thinking about a valuable implementation of it versus just having the desire to play around with it and then do something that's kind of hokey. Yeah, there's companies certainly that will say, hey, we want to be in this space, so we'll make it happen, and they'll do something. And often what happens is that they'll get some sort of shiny button kind of demo that'll work for six months, and then everybody forgets about it because it hasn't got any business value other than, hey, look at us. Right. And and that's okay if that's what they choose. It becomes a marketing ploy it does. ultimately, right? Or, um, but I'm much more interested in the business side of things. I, I don't really. I'm not really that interested in building shiny stuff. I want to build stuff that might be crude, might be simple, but it'll actually do something for your company. It'll it'll have a value. Uh, it might replace a process. It might enhance a process. It might be safer for people to operate a certain equipment. Whatever it might be. But I'm much more interested in that space. Um, but in terms of what your question was with growth, there are some projections that has been made which obviously are built based on very very you know little data that we are in the very infancy of this and especially with the new tooling coming from apple and and um, and android or for google the potential is much greater because you'll be able to use the device you use every day so i've got here next to me i've got a google pixel 
XL phone, which is a standard high-end Android phone. It's last year's model. You can probably pick them up reasonably cheap now. But that'll, that supports ARKit, and all the apps that are built with ARKit will work on that phone with no extra equipment whatsoever. So I don't know how technical you want to make the the discussion <laughs> yeah no we can go we can go into some you but, know technology around it and some of the underpinnings yeah of how this how it works okay because it's if we start with something like hololens because hololens has driven a lot of this in my opinion has really pushed the boundary of what people perceive as augmented reality i won't talk too much about virtual reality because it is a different technology and it is a different market and a different approach in i think in in what you should use it for but it's certainly with augmented reality, the mixed reality platform has pushed that space so much in terms of spatial mapping. So spatial mapping is, hey, I know where things are in relation to where the device is. So for HoloLens, this is incredibly accurate, like super accurate in terms of what we you know, perceive as accurate. <laughs> you know, we're going to be careful not to, you know, how do I word this? But you build up a 3D model with the HoloLens that knows where the table is, where the chairs are, where the walls are, where the ceiling, where the floor is. It knows, it can kind of detect windows because they don't get mapped, so they're just holes in the wall. And you then have this 3D spatial map. We have this 3D model in memory on the device that you can then interact with digitally, which is why you can have your digital characters come and sit on the chair next to you. So your digital character sits on the physical chair next to you. And that's super, super powerful. That is so convincing. And when you get to that level of spatial mapping and awareness of your surroundings on the device, you can just do so much. Because augmented reality, what people think of augmented reality was the Google Glass, which was, you know, three, four years ago, Mm -hmm. where you just have an overlay of data on something. So you have a heads-up display kind of experience, and that might be good for navigation. You can have, hey, say, turn left in 200 meters, and uh, you can read an email on the fly, whatever it is. But it didn't know anything about the physical surroundings. That now is changing with ARKit and ARCore because the devices themselves will map your surroundings. Right now it's mapping mainly flat surfaces like desks and tables and uh, floor and that sort of thing. Uh, But that'll that'll improve over time. Mm -hmm. No question. And once we get to that point where that there's more and more devices supporting it and people accept it as part of the experience, you'll see the growth just going bonkers. Like we will have 1,000, 2,000% growth, no question. So what are some of the obstacles and some of the roadblocks for building good augmented experiences and products mm-hmm. right now? Is it mostly a lack of of content is it is it a lack of people understanding the underlying technology what are the biggest challenges right now that are not facilitating better augmented experiences and products i think there's two sides to it one is the consumer education so your consumers need to be aware of how that technology works and it has to be so simple and streamlined that they just kind of fall into it just like we did with gps oh we know map yeah i know i know how map works I want to go there, you just press a button, you went there. You didn't have to worry about how it was figuring out how to do the route and started and all that stuff. we got to get to the same point in educating consumers on how to use augmented reality because if you make it too hard, they're just not going to use it. People just are not going to use it. And we've seen this over and over and over again. So that's one side of it is we need to make sure that we kind of hand, you know, hold the hand of the consumers and, and say it's okay, <laughs> you know, you, you can do it. And the other side of it is that technology obviously has to go with it. So the technology side of this, the AR kit uh, and AR core, which I'll probably spend the most time talking about because they're sort of what most people will have an experience with over the next year or two, 
they're being constantly improved, but they're still very rudimentary in how it, it manages to recognize surfaces. Because it's, it's not that simple, obviously. It, it uses the gyroscope and the accelerometer and those hardware features of the, of the device, along with the camera. So it has you know, image processing of, in real time of where are some of the, the anchor points that it can use, such as a corner of a table or um, you know, where a wall meets the floor or something. And when that technology gets more and more refined, we will see more and more accurate experiences as well. But that still is very, very early days. And the presentation I'm going to do on Wednesday, I'll have a, a few live demos as well, a few different examples of it. One is a Porsche hybrid supercar that they've made an app for. So you can download the app and you can then place this Porsche where you want in different scales. So you can have it full size if you want to. So you could place it in your living room or whatever. And that's really quite a basic app. You just place a model on a flat surface and it doesn't mm-hmm. do anything else. Then there's a game. Do you know Whack-A-Mole? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just you know whack mm-hmm. the moles. And that just uses, again, a flat surface and they pop up out of the floor or the table or whatever and you whack them. You just you tap on the screen. Mm-hmm. And then what I think is the most powerful is Amazon's shopping app, which a lot of people would know, is for a long time you'll be able to do barcode recognition. You can scan a barcode and Amazon will tell you what product it is and how much it is. It can be a, a photo recognition. It'll, you can scan a, you know, an item and it'll know what it is. But they've now added an AR component to it. So you can place real world, uh, you can place digital items in the real world. So if you want to buy a chair of Amazon, you can place that chair in the room first and see how it'll look and then buy it from that. And those experiences, and when you get to that point where it becomes uh, something that's easier for the consumer, as in, I already know it's going to look good. Yeah, I'll get it. Rather than having to, oh, but then I gotta, if it doesn't fit, I've got to send it back and have all those kind of thoughts around it. You just, you just eliminate that whole thought sequence. Do you think that's going to be, in the near term anyway, the biggest consumer value and business value around AR is product visualization in the end setting that the product is going to go in, either physically or on us? Yep, I think so. It's retail is a big part of it because we're targeting consumers here. You know, there's there's a hundred million devices from Android and probably the, about the same from iOS that will be able to run this. Yep. Uh, so it's a large, large customer base, and generally the people that buy the high end phones are also the people that buy the more stuff online. So yeah, I think that's going to be one of the push push from that. Absolutely. Are the retailers mostly ready, and that do they have? content and visuals no. of their products in a augmentable ready state no no definitely not um that's one of the hurdles amazon will have i don't know how many let's say they have a couple of thousand products that are modeled in 3d mm-hmm. because they got to be pretty accurate they got to look good right and there's no the point right. in doing it if they look crappy right? no because you're going to buy it right and, and they're going to be the right size so that it fits in with everything um in real time and a small retailer will just not have that they're not going to spend, you know, $400 a model on getting something produced that way. Right. But once we get to where the product manufacturer provides that as part of the product anyway, because they probably have it, they'll have CAD drawings or whatever it might be. Well, then it's a different ballgame. We already got the models. You just got to build it into your product, into your app or your online experience, whatever it might be. So um, there's still a bit of uphill, but I don't, I think we're at a point now where it is such a integral part of the platform that it's just going to be we're not going to see apps that are going to be oh this is all AR and this is new AR app it's just going to be another feature of the platform that people would use I don't think we need to focus too much on it as a consumer that oh is this the AR version or the not it's just going to be sort of blended in with everything 
So you think that, that if, um, just to stay in, in the car space, that to visualize a BMW in your driveway or in your garage, th- that it'll be just an experience as part of BMW's base consumer app, there won't be a, a separate AR, hey, visualize your BMW ownership here kind of a thing. I don't think so. There probably will be initially. But I could see something like a showroom, you'll have the the standard base model of some car and then you can because you can do image recognition and you know surface recognition and mapping of the spatial environment you might say oh i want to see that car in blue and you just hold the device over it and the car will be blue you know through the device mm-hmm. you know i want to see the, the tan leather interior i want to see what it looks like with the seven inch screen instead of the nine inch screen or whatever it might be and i think you can do those things you know a dealer app kind of thing it's a it's a sales tool in that sense mm-hmm. and it'll make it cheaper to because they don't have to have all the different vehicles on the floor you can just kind of have one base model or even just have a completely virtual model as well if it's a cheap enough car um, you might do that obviously the high-end cars you're gonna have to touch and feel them right so your presentation that you're, you're gonna give on AI kit what are you gonna talk about um, well I'm gonna give a bit of a history on where augmented reality has come from um, which is kind of interesting. There was a lot of stuff around research that I didn't know. So uh, there's a the first implementation was like in the 60s. Oh wow! And uh, and there was a so the first head mounted augmented uh, device was in the 60s, and it just showed some wireframes, but it was in the real space and it was all mechanical more or less. So the computer part of it was showing the wireframes and the and the goggles, but the um, <laughs> the, the actual headset was on this sort of scaffolding and wires and stuff. Yeah, it was kind of well, it was kind of cool. Um, and then it just sort of goes up to the day of you know people setting up augmented reality spaces. So you would go in and you would experience a different reality, more so than that. You would have to be in a specific space, and then they became portable. And so I do a bit of that. I have a little quiz on is this AR or VR because there's a lot of confusion sometimes. Yeah. Um, and for the record... so Yeah, I was going to say, how do you define AR and VR? Yeah, that, I mean, obviously in my head it's really clear. Right. <laughs> but we often talk about a spectrum. At one end of the spectrum you have AR, at the other end of the spectrum you have VR. So they are completely opposite ends of that spectrum. And then the whole middle part of it is what is called mixed reality. And the VR is where you remove everything that the user can see. So that's your Oculus Rift, um, your you know, HTC Vive, those kind of devices... And everything is gone. So your whole experience is virtual. There's nothing left of the real world. And that is really good for some applications, like uh, a forklift simulator. I always use that example because if you want to drive a forklift and learn how to drive one, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to crash in and destroy a million, worth, million dollars worth of stock or produce, right? So initially, do it in the simulator or the emulator on the device. And then when you're ready, you can go and do it for real. And then the augmented reality stuff is where you just have an overlay of data on the reality. So you augment the reality that you see. Often it has a trigger point. So you can use a, you can have a sales brochure of some really fancy yacht. And then when you hold the device over the yacht, it comes to life out of the brochure, right? And it bobs on the surface or whatever it might be. And that's augmented reality. And then everything in between is mixed. And to be honest, most things today are mixed reality. There might be more or less towards one of the other ends, but most of it is mixed. Like even the HTC Vive now will have little cameras you set up behind you so it has room, like it knows the, the play area, how big it is. You can see your hands maybe, um, or the controllers at least. But there's even the Oculus Go now, right? So it's right. It, you know, Oculus without leads or wires on it, untethered. So 
I have a quiz on my talk that is, is this AR or VR? And I, I mean, I do a couple of easy ones and then I put Pokemon Go on there. And then what do you think it is? What do you think? Pokemon Go. Do you, do you familiar with the, mm-hmm. with the concept? AR. Was well, neither. And that's my whole point. It's neither. Because it, it's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it was a great gimmick and it was a great mapping game with GPS. But it had nothing to do with AR or VR. Nothing whatsoever. Now that, I'm th- now that you said that and I'm thinking about it, mm. you're right. Yeah. Um, it, it certainly isn't VR because you're in the real world, yep. right? And there really isn't any AR component to None. it, right? No. Because you're not really overlaying anything on what you're seeing. It was just a camera feed and they put a, a, a Pokemon on it. And right. that was it. Right. There was it was not even a trigger point or anything. There was nothing. So Right. It's so prox- that's, all proximity based. Yeah. Right. So it had nothing to do with the with, with the reality or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's my little quiz and I like that cuz everybody goes, "Oh, it's AR, surely, cuz we saw that on the news." Right. Know? Right. Cuz everybody called it uh, a, the best AR game ever or whatever they called it. But, right. Uh, so that yeah, and then I uh, built uh, an app on stage, a little app that is very basic cuz there's only so much time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gives an idea of how the tooling works, how the uh, how the, f- the technology works, the actual AR kit implement- implementation. Um, it does really cool stuff. Like it even knows light sources, so you can have dynamic lighting on your 3D models based on the real light in the room. Oh, sweet! Which is it's quite the the feat to have done that. I think it's um, it's not that simple. Yeah, for sure. So when you think about because you obviously have a, a history in development and, and software products prior to you know caring about AR and VR stuff. How is the process the same and different for creating AR experiences and products versus traditional software products? That's a good question. Traditional product development is, is a lot about the consumer, as it should be. And it's the same in AR. There's no difference. The difference to me is that you have to kind of envision how you want the user to see your product wherever they are. Like, you don't know where they're going to be. If you're building a website, you know they're going to see it on a web device, whether it's mobile or, or, big, or desktop, but there's some constraints. Mm-hmm. If you're building an AR kind of implementation, you don't know where they're going to be. It could be anywhere. It could be outside. It could be inside. It could be in a room with no windows. It could have you know curved walls. It could have a shiny floor. You just don't know. So when you build a product for that, you're gonna, initially you're going to make it as basic as you possibly can the AR component of it at least because you just don't know exactly how it's going to end up being used and it's a bit like we had I did a lot of mobile development a long time ago like when it first came out with Windows Phone so what was that eight, nine years ago and the real constraint there was that once it was deployed to the store and people downloaded it it was out of your hands you didn't know what they were going to do with that app on the phone um, whereas if you had a desktop component, you were kind of you had a bit more control. You had you know you knew sort of there was going to be a certain environment, and it was going to be you know this kind of machine or what it might be. And it's a bit the same with AR. You're going to get to a point now where you just don't know how people are going to use it, and you can't predict everything. So you're going to kind of have to do a best guess on a lot of things. But the, yeah, the product development that's again it's something we we just don't know. There hasn't been very much of it, so it's going to be a lot of explorative, I think, design trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Yeah, you mentioned building and doing something initially pretty basic with the augmented part of it. Yeah. In traditional software product development, right, we would think of that as some sort of an MVP or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, prototype, etc. If you're building an AR experience and product, 
Is there a threshold where the augmentation has to be at least somewhat refined and and evolved so that it doesn't come across as being too elementary? Yeah, I think a lot of it is in the visuals. And uh, and I think having a really good 3D model takes a lot of that pressure off. Mm -hmm. But it's... There's a lot of things that the AR platforms still don't do. Something like occlusion, as in hiding things. The HoloLens is fantastic at it, and that still gets it wrong sometimes. For example, so if, if I'm, say, the, the Amazon AR, the Amazon app with the AR experience, if I place a lamp on the table, it doesn't quite know if there's like a flower in front of it, um, or if I've put a water bottle in front of it, or it doesn't hide that 3D model behind the physical object. And that's off-putting because it looks wrong, looks out of place. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the challenges is that even though it's as simple as that, hey, take a 3D object and place it on a thing, and that's it, that's all you do, it still can be kind of a a half half experience. And no one's going to go out and buy a HoloLens just to do that, obviously. (laughs) So we're going to have to figure out some way of doing that. And I'm sure that the... Uh, the platform's going to get better, the devices are going to get better, the hardware and such, but it still is something that's really tricky. Yeah. Do you need a gaming background or a 3D background to be able to do augmented reality products well? I don't think you need it, but it's it's a definite advantage. The main reason that a gaming background is really good is that most of the smaller games are built on Unity, mm-hmm. um, Unity 3D, the editor. Yep. And a lot of these experiences will be built on that as well. So it makes sense to have that experience because the tooling is not going to be a problem and you already know how to interact with the three models in that way as well. And so how does it, um, how does someone leverage like AI kit and, and build for the phones and the OSs that are becoming more prevalent and more sort of plug and play to facilitate a augmented experiences and products? Do you build something first in Unity, and then you port it over, and then you wire it up to be able to work with the OSs that are on on the devices. Or do you start out building it specifically for the o, the device in the OS? And are you building in Unity then for distribution in some other way, like on the web or outside of a mobile device and a specific OS? Yeah, it is a bit of a hybrid approach, and especially with ARKit, there's multiple ways you can do it. So if you're a Java developer anyway, you can use Android Studio. Um, and obviously, because that's Google's platform, it's very well supported. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use Unity for almost everything. Unity is really well supported as well. Yep. You can use Unreal Engine if you really wanted to, especially if you're a C++ developer. That makes sense to use the Unreal Engine. And then there's also web implementation, which is still kind of a beta alpha kind of thing. But it'll, it'll come as well. There will be an AR kit implementation, probably built around A-Frame, which is Mozilla's augmented reality uh, web VR implementation, and then I'm not too sure about the the iOS the the um, AR kit. So AR kit is iOS. AR core is from Google. Just so we got that. Um, so I'm not too sure about the AR kit implementation from iOS, but you can also use Unity for that, and of course you can use Xcode. Mm-hmm. But it is a matter of building the 3D scene or experience in your 3D modeling tool. Let's say Unity. And then taking that out, and then if you're doing with the AR core, you're going to have to call that experience from within your your Android app, whether mm-hmm. that's built in Android Studio as well, or it could be they're using Xamarin or some other um, native script kind of implementation. So the, the, it is a bit of a hybrid model, uh, and there is a lot of fiddling to get that to work, just to get the, the integration seamless. But it, yeah, it'll get there. The tooling is only going to get better. 
Yeah. Most content in most software products is data. Mm -hmm. In augmented products, it would seem that most content, there's certainly a data component, but the 3D sort of element and experience kind of is the the star, right? Mm -hmm. Versus data. So how do you think about if you're a traditional sort of software product person you and you think a lot about information architecture and how to sort of structure databases and then service calls right between mm-hmm. a software product and and a you know and databases etc and then APIs how does that all play out in the augmented product space right is the stack essentially the same or are there variations in the stack given that we're talking about 3d content now being sort of inserted into what is traditionally sort of a data application Mm -hmm. stack that's the million dollar question (laughs) if i had the the true answer i would i would you wouldn't you wouldn't be here talking to me right now that's well (laughs) i probably would but the point is that it this is what everybody's grappling with because a lot of companies have a lot of data because we've always been told for the well, for the last 20 years, data is king. Right. And we keep collecting data, collecting data. And then some people get in trouble. <coughs> um, and, and and now we just don't know what to do with it. So then this, this thing comes along and goes, ooh, AR. Oh, we should do something with that. And then trying to match the two together is not and, always... And somehow, yeah. somehow we should augment our experiences Correct. with the data that we have. Yeah, because right? it's going to be better. Right. Yeah. And, and again, you've got to use the right tool for the right job. And I was talking to a, um, a software company that does sort of superannuation. Is that what it's called in America? Or pensioning, pensioner software, you know, for your pension funds or whatever it might be. Yeah, okay. In Australia, that's called superannuation. And they were like, well, how can we sell our superannuation software products and stats and stuff with HoloLens? And I'm like, uh, hmm, I'm not sure you can because it's, I'm not sure that's related and relate, um, translates that well. So it is, it is the million-dollar question. How do I get all this data I have, and how do I make that as simple as possible so that I can kind of press a button and show all the goodness in 3D? And that's, it's really a case-by-case basis because if you have, say you have a lot of data around national parks and you know where, the, say, all the, you know, for example, the toilets are or you know where um, the bike lanes are, well, you might want to go to a point where you say, well, actually, if you use our app, Say the if, if there's such a thing as the American National Parks or U.S. National Parks body or something that's an overarching body, we have an app. If you go to one of our parks and we know where you are, then we will overlay stuff on exactly where you are. We'll show you a, a signpost that says it's this far to this thing or whatever it might be. Yep. You've got to think in terms of what is the data I have and what, what is my business? I don't think there's a silver bullet answer to that. Yeah, what's the user value and context yeah. at any given moment, right, based mm-hmm. upon how they're trying to interact with whatever your sort of base, right, uh, yeah, yeah. perspective is. And, and a lot of the data people have are privacy data, mm-hmm. right? It's just the nature of it because that's what's worth money. So you got to be careful as well. There, there, was, there was a project in Australia that got never went off the ground because they wanted to track people in a shop, so they could see who they were. They're actually using Xbox Connect for this. Mm-hmm. And then they'd say, oh, we know that you looked at this item for this long. So when you get to the register, we can show you that same item on the screen and say, hey, you can get 10% off. Mm. But there was a real kind of privacy issue with that. But you might be able to use that data and say, hey, you can show it. You can, you, hey, step in front of this thing. We'll, we'll show it on you. You know, that sort of thing. It, it really depends on what your business is and what you think has value for your customers. Yeah. 
So we've talked a little bit about some tools. Are there other tools and sort of frameworks and processes that you hold sacred as part of the process of building augmented products? Are are there any that we haven't touched on that you just sort of say, hey, if you're going to go down this path, you have to be thinking about this and you have to be using this or you you should be? Um, I think the main thing is use your common sense. That's a good tool to have. Because it's really easy to get caught up in this thing. seems to be in short supply these oh, days. Oh, it is. Totally, totally. Because we all get captured by this. We go, this is so cool. Like, I'm now showing you this 3D thing in front of you that you can just see with your phone. And you go, oh, i got to have that. And then you find a way. You're looking for a problem, but you already got a solution. Right. right? It's a solution in search of a problem. Yeah, that's right? pretty much it. And if we just apply some common sense, and especially because I'm... That's what I said in the beginning. My thing is, hey, how can I actually provide business value out of this? How can I do something for you that makes you more money or saves you money or makes it easier for your clients or whatever it might be? Not so much about, hey, look at this new fireworks I've built. It just doesn't have my interest anymore. <laughs> so common sense in that regard is really important. But in terms of, you, are you talking about like physical tools or, or software tools as such? Yeah, um, yeah, either. I mean, ultimately, right, what, what, do, you, what do you have to have in your toolbox ultimately yeah, to yeah. create an augmented reality you know, product and experience. I think it's important to have the right team. you got to have uh, some sort of 3D person um, if you want to do this at more than a kind of a hobby single person level. you got to have someone that understands how 3D models work and someone that understands how Unity works. That's probably the main thing. The programming part of it is usually pretty simple. Um, a lot of it is scripting not I mean of course there's always quirks and everything in it but those are probably the main thing and you need someone that can talk to a customer (laughs) that can actually translate what the modeler and the designer says into customer language so let's talk about that user research and validation and and iteration based upon that user feedback loop now Mm -hmm. is critical and pretty common at least it should be in building a typical software product Mm -hmm. How do you, do you do it the same way with an AR product and experience? Because you talked a little bit about the fact that it's hard to get sort of user feedback and, and validation around AR products because they might not know what they're even sort of what experience it's supposed to be, right? Because most of us are now used to using apps and we're used to using websites mm-hmm. and web applications. So when someone comes to us and says, hey, for this role that you do, um, we're building a new software product that serves this role and eliminates spreadsheets as part of this role and this process. And that person can give you a reasonable amount of feedback and perspective around how the software product should um, help them do their jobs better, mm-hmm. right? The jo- whole jobs to be done, you know, um, practice of replacing these spreadsheets. How do you do user research and user validation and get that feedback loop and iterate on an AR product when you might, the users might not have any baseline and sort of context to provide feedback within? Yeah, I, I think you got to approach it very much the same as you would with any other product development initially. You got to figure out what is the thing that is not working or what is the thing that is not optimal. I'm not sure there's a, a big difference in how you figure that out because, again, this is. You, you don't already have the solution, right? So you're looking to figure out what it is you're trying to solve. And then when you have that issue or that, you know, that there might be that say they have to say, hey, we got all this data, we don't know what to use, we do with it. Um, or we have this product that we can't seem to sell. We think uh, augmented reality enhancement of it might be the trick for it. 
you got to figure out why it's not selling. Why is the product not working? Um, you can't just say, well, we'll just take whatever it is and make it 3D. It's not going to work. So I'm not sure there's a big difference in, in approach initially. A lot of it is in the feedback loop. Because it's such early days, you got to have something, get us something, a couple of days, get something out the door that does, you know, might even be like a golden path kind of demo. And mm-hmm. just, just get it out to the customers in, as fast as you possibly can. Uh, and just say, hey, this is kind of what we're thinking. Because once you get them thinking, you got the domain expert thinking, saying, hey, okay, we understand how the product's supposed to work. You know the technical side of it. Now we can talk together and try and bridge that gap. But often clients just don't know what it is they're looking for. They just don't know. They just know that they want this thing. They want to not miss out. Right. Um, how do you test a AR experiences and products? Because it would seem that the, even sort of the QA process mm-hmm. would be much more challenging and difficult than, than QAing and testing a, a regular data-driven software product. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the QA, in my experience, have been around the performance of something. Mm-hmm. Frame rate is really important in these things. Once just the frame rate starts dropping, you get you know, you get jerking, you get juttering, you get um, things aren't aligning properly, all these problems are, are starts materializing. So a lot of the QA is around, hey, this seems to be performing slow at this point, or when I do this, it doesn't align, or a lot of the sort of mathematical part of it. And then mm-hmm. once you've nutted those things out, then you present it to the client or a test user base or whatever it is. And then you're kind of relying on coming up with good test questions. So they might be questions around, hey, how can this experience, um, does, does this experience help you save time? So not make it about this, the actual implementation as such, but more about the benefits of it, I think, for, from the user's perspective. Because again, when we, we're not trying to show the user how the platform works. They shouldn't care. Right. We're just telling them, hey, there's another button you can press. And it should be self-explanatory. And if they can't figure out how to work it, well, chances are that all the other users that's supposed to use it don't, can't figure it out either. Uh, I mean, that's the, that's the consumer version in its, in its you know, basic form. Obviously, if it's a specialized implementation say we got engineers that we need to be able to do this there's a training period and all that stuff and it's a different different ball game but a lot of it is about implementation i think much more than technical questions if Mm -hmm. you're asking users as we think about the fact that many people's reference around ar is something like pokemon go Mm -hmm. do you think that most users and then most companies sort of view ar now as it has to have a, a gaming sort of component and and feel about it and if that's true is that a dangerous perspective that something has to feel game-like for it to be a good ar experience i don't think so to be honest i don't think so okay i think for consumers will always say hey pokemon go is ar and to be honest that's kind of okay fair enough Mm -hmm. you know if that makes sense in your head in how you perceive it, fair enough. Because the next time you use AR, it's still going to be the live stream where something happens on it. And technically, Pokemon Go is not AR. But in terms of consumers, it, there's a common thread here, right? And that's okay. So they just, because that means that they're kind of, they're not scared of using it as well. They've already got, hey, I use Pokemon Go. Now I can use, you know, Company X app as well because it's, it's just pressing that other button. Right. And that's okay. Like if we can bridge that and make that easy, cool. I have no problem with that. However, if you're a technical person, you need to know that Pokemon Go is not AR, right? You need to understand how you can enhance someone's reality using augmentation. But I don't think that 
it's not something companies companies will go in certainly the ones I've spoken to they they go to it and they say okay AR seems to be a thing either we don't understand what it is can you tell us or we think it's this and we'd like to do this with our products or we've already done something how do we make it better or this does is this going to work I haven't yet been to the we want Pokemon Go too I don't that hasn't been a hasn't been the case which I think is healthy yeah the, well that's probably good yeah because they don't think of it if if you're Amazon you don't think of how can I get people to shoot balls in my products kind of thing or how can I make people collect all the red lava lamps like it, there's not that connection mm-hmm. it's more how do I sell my red lava lamp um, and for Amazon is then it's been well I can place it on the table and I can look at it and I can just press buy which I think is super powerful. IKEA has the same thing, by the way. Right, and and I think IKEA is probably the most um, evolved with AR from mm-hmm. a retailer perspective, right? I mean, the, the, they came out with I think two years ago. Their catalog mm-hmm. had had a significant product AR engagement yep. experience. Yep. Um, I don't think it was all the products, but I think there was a pretty good percentage of their products that you could visualize right in your oh, totally. in your home. And I remember playing around with it, and it was in the. They obviously spent a lot of time on the 3D models. Oh, totally. Because oh, yeah. they were so vivid and so mm-hmm. crisp mm-hmm. that it was. Um, I was amazed at how good the experience was. Yeah, but look at it this way, right? What if we get to a point where IKEA has all of their products in crazy high quality, and you can you can use the models on pretty much any device that's available, say five ten years from now? Mm-hmm. Why would they have physical stores? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, they probably wouldn't. Um, other than, and it, it probably isn't true for them, but many retailers and many many restaurant mm-hmm. companies and chains mm-hmm. get to a point where they have so many stores and so many locations that they actually are in the real estate business, not actually in the business of selling hamburgers or uh-huh. in the business of selling furniture. Yeah. Right? They're actually in the real estate business because the real estate holdings far outstrip sure. whatever goes in and out the doors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So uh, they might maintain stores just become from a real estate holdings perspective oh, in yeah, some that's way. Totally. Right? But yeah, from an actual selling and sort of product customer engagement experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe the store isn't a requirement anymore. You you wouldn't have. Well, why would you? Why would you go to a store and look at some sort of, you know, arbitrary contrived model of how an apartment could look when you can go and place all the furniture in your real apartment and say, I like how that looks, buy. And then it comes delivered. How much of, so this is, I think, uh, going to be a real interesting transition point for AR as part of the maturity process mm-hmm. is... When we get to the point that we could visualize all the products in a room that we would want to outfit that room with, what part of that then are we going to miss by not going to the store and having that store experience mm-hmm. where we touch it and we feel it and yep. we and we debate right with whoever we're shopping with whether oh but I like that one because it sticks out a little bit further than that one sure. does right and so there's part of of the retail shopping experience that, oh, there is. that is experiential that we would lose in a completely augmented virtual shopping experience right that yep. there that, yep. that the camaraderie and the emotional sort of attachment to retail and shopping it'll be interesting to see 
how much augmented reality can sort of chip away at that. Yeah. The emotional sort of, of camaraderie experience of actually going and shopping for things. Yeah, I agree. It, especially something like smell to me is a big part of it. People don't often realize it, but sort of how you perceive things, especially furniture, what the wood smells like, what the leather smells like or whatever it might be, um, has a big impact on it. If you're buying a, a woolen couch, like I have a couch that's partly made of wool, the texture of that is important. Um, so there are things like that. But a shop like Ikea that is, how do you put this nicely? Um, Has lots of commonality of textures and, and yeah, fabrics. And, and, and doesn't attract the high-end clientele, let's say. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go into Ikea and, and buy a $10,000 couch. If you're looking to furnish your spare bedroom, for example, you're less likely to care whether the white is off-white or white. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you're less likely to care whether the the vinyl on this chair is shiny or semi-gloss. Like it's, there's certain concessions that can be made, mm-hmm. and I think that has big potential. And I think that's where companies that IKEA certainly is thinking around those those lines. I have no no doubt that they can save a ton on uh, just staff and storage and all that. Do you think that the same is going to be true in a business to business? product sales environment. So if um, we did an engagement um, with a client two years ago, I think, where and they manufacture HVAC equipment, uh, an industrial HVAC equipment that goes outside of factories. Uh-huh. Um, and they wanted an app for their salespeople to be able to help set prospective customers to see how the equipment performed Yep. based upon how hot or cold and what the what the weather was happening outside. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. And, and so it was this experience that essentially simulated. So it wasn't even really AR. Now that I'm sort of talking about it sure, and remembering sure. it, it wasn't actually AR. It was more of just a simulation. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a sales tool, right, that their salespeople yep. had to now yep. help customers sort of visualize a product that they would never be able to demo. They mm-hmm. would never be able to ship it right to a customer's location and say, "Hey, take it for a run," right? Um, because <laughs> no. the thing weighed three tons or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, do you think that AR can be just effective in a B two B marketing oh, yeah. and sales environment as it can be in a B two C consumer environment? Absolutely, no doubt. No and doubt. do you think the experiences are mostly the same and built on the same tools and frameworks? Oh, yeah. Do you see yeah. any differences at all between a B2B sort of environment and a B2C environment? Well, I think the B2C has to be a lot more polished, mm-hmm. probably, because consumers are very easy to discount things yep. and go, oh, the other guy has the same thing, I'll just get it there. In a B2B environment, often there isn't a lot of competition, or if there is, there will be distinct business features that are you know that are different. I'm just thinking something like, say, a pharmaceutical company wants to build a new factory of producing you know, equipment, and they need to buy this, I don't know how it works, but let's say a pill press. Mm-hmm. You know? That mm-hmm. sounds terrible, doesn't it? It's like Breaking Bad. Anyway. Right. Um, so of but, all of the pieces of manufacturing equipment yeah. that you could have thought of, you thought of a pill press. Right. Purely coincidence. We, we know where your head's at. Yes. I live in the country on a farm. Um, so <laughs> I, I think that... Having that as an augmentation and say, hey, I can put it over here and you can see what size it is. You can see what comes out of it. You can probably even have the noise of it, how much noise it makes. You can hook it up to other things if there's you know, other components in the, the process that you need to purchase as well. 
And I think that's you can go into a space and say, I'll just set it up for you. This is how it would look. This is how it could look. Rather than going into a meeting room and I'll draw it on a piece of paper on a blackboard or here's a brochure on how it looks. Or, or, here's a present. Here's a PowerPoint slide right, right. On, on a picture of it in someone else's environment. Yeah, here's right. the one that my 3D model superposed on your thing. Or Having that real time, I think, is super powerful. And I, I'm, yeah, that would absolutely come as well. Do you think that, um, because I've, I've always thought, uh, but certainly not with the same um, level of expertise around this that you have, that... B2B ultimately would probably, even though the consumer economy is 80% of what the business-to-business economy is, that the B2B economy is actually probably more ready for augmented experiences because the B2B sales are often consistently higher ticket prices, right? And more complicated purchases, right? Where big pieces of machinery are getting purchased, right? Mm -hmm. And complicated pieces of machinery in some cases. Mm -hmm. And so, and because you could build it as the, the product owner, you only sort of have to build it to the threshold of acceptability of what can your salespeople effectively use and demonstrate. And it doesn't have to, because they can then manage the presentation of it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be quite as as self-serving as a B2C totally. um, oh, yeah. AR experience and product, right? So do you think that B2B will take off faster than B2C or ultimately be a more valuable channel and, and use of augmented experiences than B2C? I think it be more valuable over time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to take off quicker because it's very, very specific. So it's it'll be company building a, you know, an experience right. for their purpose, right? And that's it. Yeah. So, but I have no doubt that if you walk into any business and say, "All right, how? What is your sales process like? All right, I can, I can help you sell fifty percent more product, or I can help you save fifty percent on selling it by doing augmented reality, or ten percent, or even just anything that's better off the bottom line." They'll jump at it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the it's the old sales trick. Of, hey, if you pay me forty grand, I'll make you a hundred, right? And they go, sure. Because right. why wouldn't you? Right. And that I don't think that's a hard sell. Mm-hmm. It's a hard sell in culture because you might have, if it's a really established industry, and I don't know what that would be. What's a good, you know, what's established industry? Um, but something that's been around. Cars. Cars, for example. Right. Well, cars are still a bit more progressive. But say you're selling bed frames to hotels. Okay. Right? So you're selling 100 beds at a time or something. Yep. Making that leap to saying, well, I'm just going to get someone to put a bed in your hotel room and show it to you. Getting that leap to say, okay, well, you can actually do it with augmentation now. I think that's harder in that case. Whereas newer industries like you know Amazon are exploring in all sorts of things. Um, right. Might be an easier sell because they're already thinking of how to sell more of a new product. So there is differences in, in where it'll work but I have no doubt the business is going to pick up on it yeah well using your you know hospital um, bed frame or um, hotel you know, a hospital bed frame or hospital right yeah. that those are sort of um, commodity situations right so augmenting a commodity sale mm. probably less valuable yeah right than augmenting a high value um highly customizable right potential sale yeah right where now you're saying oh this product is going to look like this in your environment and oh you want to customize it by having an extra power supply mm-hmm. okay here we go mm-hmm. you want to customize it by having you know um i think uh, you're right now that i think of it complex sales will benefit highly from augmentation because you can do all of it it's not like just 
I've brought this sample, but right. you can also get all these other things that I have a brochure for. Right. But now instead you go, oh, well, we just put that on or we put that on. Obviously, in development, that requires a lot more modeling, a lot more work and all that stuff. But I also think it's much more powerful. Well, so, and then there's a threshold of, of appropriateness of how much sure. time and effort you <laughs> want to build into that, right? Uh-huh. That if you if you sell a product that has... 2,000 different, you know, potential add-ons and configurations. Too confusing as well. Right. You probably just do the top, top dozen, yeah, right, or something, right. right? And then and then you still leave the rest for, you know, imagination because they get so narrow and so specific at that point that yeah. um, it doesn't it doesn't make the time that you'd have to invest in building that out into the experience and the product probably worth it ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's. I don't think. I don't think AI is any different than any other sales channel. Is as in, if I can help you sell more, you can also buy this thing for me. Right. It's. it's it should be a relatively easy sell if you can nail what the solution is. I think that's probably where the problem is. How am I actually going to save you money or make you money? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And most people, uh, most of us now, don't buy things based upon cost savings because n- none of us believe the pitch around I'm going to save you X percent actually (laughs) works because it's never actually come to fruition for any of us personally or in our businesses, right? No. But do we believe that there is revenue and it's opportunistic, Mm -hmm. right, versus sort of protectionism? Most of us will buy into something that's opportunistic and that that drives growth, right? Yeah, or if it's solving an actual problem. Right. You know, does, uh, hey, we've got this safety, you know, OH and S issue or something. If you can solve that, yeah, that'll also that'll also work. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me and doing this. We, no we, we went to a, a racetrack and watched some racing on Saturday, and so most people are going to enjoy your accent on this, probably, <laughs> especially versus mine. And everybody also at the at the race course that we were at also enjoyed Lars' accent. So yeah, no. um, this is uh, for those that that care about voices. Um, you're welcome. That um, I asked <laughs> Lars to. to I didn't even put one. on my real Oka Australian accent either. Oh so. no, and you didn't work in any you know Australian sort of shortening of, of any words and, and. I was being very good today. Counts- right. This was very <laughs> this was very professional of you. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, anyway, thanks very much. No problem at all. Thanks, Ron. Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at AWHNet to learn more.